Hello, welcome back <laughs> to the Good, Better, Best podcast, um, where your best will always be good enough. So this podcast kind of highlights everyday conversations with extraordinary people. So today is no different. <laughs> so, <laughs> but everyone comes on, like, y'all do the tat now. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, so just kind of continuing on with the conversation. Um, so for the first two episodes, it was kind of like um, a mini series. Inshallah, I would continue, but I'm just putting that on pause because I want to bring out different content. And as much as representation matters, I feel like <laughs> we'll put that on pause for a second. We'll come back to it. So for today's episode, we're focusing on and discussing colorism and talking color, talking about colorism in the standpoint of we're both East Africans. So we're going to be talking about it in relation to our background and our experiences, of course. And so, yeah, I have someone with me. So obviously I would not be doing this by myself. <laughs> this will be a very <laughs> lonely conversation. Um, so I have with me a dear friend of mine. Her name is Juhaina. So inshallah, she's going to take it away. Um, before we kind of delve into the discussion, I want people to know who she is. So you already know she's an amazing human being, mashallah, <laughs> work that she's doing. But I'm going to kind of let her take it away, kind of give an introduction to who she is, what she does, um, what does she study, because she is a student. And yeah, we'll go from there. Thank you for having me, Anav. I'm actually really excited to be here. I'm so, I'm so excited to talk about colorism and I'm just ready for the tea that we're about to spill. This is gonna be great. But uh, just a little bit about myself before we get into that. Um, I am a Sudanese Canadian student organizer in Toronto and a lot of my work centers on my experiences as being a Black Muslim woman within the diaspora. And I'm also an undergrad student currently at York University. And I'm studying global health and environmental studies. And I'm wrapping up next year, inshallah. So I'm hoping to use that degree to kind of take me on to a journey where I can use my knowledge and learnings from those four or five years to create spaces of love and healing for Black people, especially in the times that we're in right now, I think that's necessary. So I really want to see that happen in the future in terms of my purpose work. And, you know, I obviously got to critique and dismantle institutions of white supremacy while I'm doing it. Me and Anav, you know, everyone knows what we're about. So that's also another passion of mine is calling out the BS. So yeah, that's basically me in a nutshell. It is a full-time job. <laughs> you already know. But yeah, no, for sure. It's definitely a full-time job. Well, hey, that gets tiring. No one pays us for it. No one pays anyone really. No. <laughs> and it comes at the cost of your mental health sometimes, unfortunately. Um, but before we go, I want, I'm going to start doing this, inshallah, with my future guests, because I think it's really important. But do you have a word that kind of best describes you? So like that one word, like, associated with your name or you know that kind of encompasses who you are as an individual wow okay so right now I guess a word that would best describe me for the moment that we're in right now I would say uncompromising so take that how you will but yeah definitely I've been quite uncompromising these last couple of weeks so. <laughs> we'll leave that for a <laughs> Mic drop to that, inshallah. <laughs> but no, <laughs> I 
you know, some people are like, I'm, you know, like, I'm very I could have said, oh my God, I could have said, like, amazing. I could have said passionate. No. I could have said something really. No, stop, stop. I'm compromised. You better be honest. So, like, future people could know you're not compromising shit. But that's, that's literally setting the tone, alhamdulillah. Okay, so let's delve into the topic at hand. So, um, like we said, I'm gonna, we are going to be discussing, dismantling, hopefully, um, colorism, what it is, how it looks like. So the first things first is kind of like defining what colorism is. So I kind of want to start out with the definition or the originator of all originators, because it makes yes. sense. Um, yes, Alice Walker, important. yes, Alice Walker first coined the term colorism, um, which is prejudice or discrimination against individuals with a darker skin tone, typically among people with the same ethnic or racial background. So I kind of want to preface this conversation starting off with that um, and kind of asking you, so that is kind of, I would say lack of a better word, the textbook definition of what colorism is and kind of how it started to originate. So in your words, how do you define colorism? It can be like a mixture of your experiences and everything in between, but it can be like a few words, a few sentences, a paragraph, go off. Um, Mm -hmm. But how do you typically define colorism? I think for me, based off of my personal experience, because I can always speak to that uh, in a genuine way and in a wholesome way, I kind of define colorism as like basically a bias against dark-skinned people. And the bias is usually in favor of light-skinned people. And I feel like you can see that within groups and between different cultures. You, you see it across every type of community. So I don't think that it just exists in the Black community. Let me preface that. But for this topic, for this context, yeah. Uh, you definitely see it in a diverse range of Black communities. And also, I think what's very important also to preface alongside that is that this is basically a form of white supremacy because we have to understand that colorism is basically rewarding light-skinned people for their proximity to whiteness or perceived closeness to it. So it's not sometimes a situation where it's like, okay, somebody is half white and they are light-skinned, therefore they are colorist. Sometimes it can also be you are light-skinned because of, I guess, the perceived features that you have. Um, I just want to also say that colorism is not the same as being made fun of for being light-skinned. I think people really need to understand that. that. That is not what it is at all. If we're looking at, like you said, the textbook definition from the originator of that term, Alice Walker, it's talking about how dark-skinned people are dealing with this deep-rooted hatred for the color of their skin and the way that their community perceives their skin color. Very important to realize that. And I think one last thing that we really have to understand is that People might think that the col- uh, the colorism discourse that's happening right now in social media and academia is about beauty, but I feel like that's just half of the conversation because we have to think about beyond representation that it also is about opportunities in life for career. You know what I mean? Career opportunities sometimes are given to white people. Can't deny that fact. 
And we also have to understand that it even results in situations where being light skin or dark skin is a matter of life and death. But like, that's something that people don't really want to tap into because it's, it's quite dark to say, but this is like the other side of it that we really need to confront if we're going to have a true sit down and talk about colorism in all of its facets. So like, we have to talk about, yeah, this is a matter of life and death as well. So that's just a little bit of how I've kind of internalized colorism and how I feel about it and how I I come to express what it means. No, 100%. You definitely brought up a really good point because even like when you mentioned it was kind of dark when you think about like life or death, but it's really true because when I was what I was reading in a lot of certain parts is when talking about career opportunities and economic opportunities in general, a lot of times you'll have the most qualified um, women who have to be dark skinned not get or attain certain positions or opportunities as a result of colorism. So as a result of their own, like people discriminating them based on their skin complexion, let alone their race, which is another topic in itself so like when you're talking about it it's not just you know about preference it's not just about like well someone mm-hmm. prefers lacing women compared to dark women I'm like that's <laughs> yeah I'm like that. that's like because those were topics we talked about like 10 years ago like we're on to the next like it, it, the combo got much deeper than that <laughs> no 100% like, like do you know what I'm talking about like everyone always talks about colors and the fact of like preference you know like it's just you know a five for light skin that's just yeah, how the way it goes not. but it's like usually it's, it's more than just a preference like you're dealing with like deep rooted like it works with the system, the system. and yeah. like like even white people are like looking at them themselves like you will see within certain positions like oh I hired a black woman I'm like you hired a specific type of black woman yes, but like, but like they, they just they don't understand like the complexities or the inner workings of how that really goes down because even then there is some deep rooted perception um as a result of like how they pick and select candidates even within our own communities as well that's definitely want to stress that and that's that's really important um which kind of kind of delves since we're talking about colors and kind of presents themselves in different fields can we talk about how colorism presents itself in the media so you can talk like in respect to social networking sites tv shows movies commercials and everything else but Mm -hmm. yeah kind of like start with there like from what your experiences have been Mm -hmm. So yeah, definitely when we bring it back to media, we have to understand that like media, especially for Gen Z millennial individuals, it's a very important part of our life, the media, right? And how we perceive ourselves and how we view ourselves, how we gaze at black bodies, it's very important. And the media plays a big part in kind of molding images and how we feel about these images. So I think when we're thinking about colorism in a North American context, we know that specifically for dark-skinned women, from what I've observed and how I've felt about it personally, is I've always seen in the history of television, cinema, and literature that Black women's lives have always been transformed into caricatures that you see in TV, where it's like you have the mammy, the dark-skinned mammy be under-sexualized, unattractive, maternal figure. You have the Jezebel, she's this hypersexual, promiscuous she-devil that's gonna take you to hell, you know what I mean? And then you have 
Sapphire, just the angry maternal figure that, no, the matriarchal figure that always wants to be on top and I guess is anti-man, however you want to take that. But I see how Black women, particularly dark-skinned women, have been viewed. Yeah, and it's never been, I guess, an individual that's been showed in a way where it's like, she can be a little bit of everything. It's always been a caricature. You take one feature and then you exaggerate it, how Black women actually are. And I think when you look at North American literature, media, television, that's another part of how us as children have grown up to like regard Black women, specifically dark-skinned women. You know, I never felt like, there have been few, but I never felt like there was enough representation for me in the media to be proud to be dark-skinned. You know what I mean? When I looked at light-skinned girls in the media, I'm like, they're free, they're carefree, they're happy, they're beautiful, they're desired. This is me as a young girl. This is how I felt. I felt that I was unworthy of love. So even till this day, at 22 years old, I still am confronted with like this deep-rooted insecurity that I have for being dark skinned. So I think it's just played a huge role in how I even interact with people and even men in my community. You know, I always have this feeling where it's like, he's going to call me ugly. He thinks that I'm ugly. Or it's like, I'm not going to be looked at like a human. I'm going to be looked at like some monster, an alien or something. I just, I've just, I've had a lot of conflicts with how I see myself and the media has not played a good role in like my development as a young girl to a grown-up. So it's been really difficult. And I also want to say that particularly social media, because that's a whole other beast, is that it's, because we know that young children, what platforms are they on the most? It's Twitter, it's Instagram, and the type of discourses that they have on those platforms, it's, it's ridiculous and it's very damaging. The whole team light skin, team dark skin. Like I remember being exposed to that whole part of Twitter and social media when I was, I think, in the seventh grade, that's when I really understood, okay, this is what colorism is about. I can finally name it. I know what this whole division is about. It's about being light. It's about being dark. And the type of conversations people have when it comes to light skin versus dark skin, it is some of the most inhumane, violent, brutal type of conversations and you think that, how could a child ever think like this? But we have to look at the parents. We have to look at who is inspiring this type of thinking in our, in our youth. And it's just been a lot of hatred towards dark-skinned women. And I can also see that light-skinned women aren't just prized possessions in this conversation. They've also been perceived as demure, docile, finessable women like that's also another part of the conversation and it's just been very damaging you know in both sides but for dark-skinned women you can see that social media has definitely 
definitely amplified the voices of a lot of misogynistic men outwardly proclaiming their hatred and disgust for dark-skinned women. And, you know, it used to be, that guy used to make fun of me, you know, back in the days when we would play outside, but now it's like social media, it's on a global level where it's like, you can literally go on your phone, go on your computer, and you can see how the world sees you and you have more access to like all these different types of groups that spew this hate. And I think it's at a point where it's unavoidable. You know, young girls, young dark-skinned girls are constantly bombarded with this type of energy and, and this type of hate. You can't escape it. So I just, I feel so much for the younger generations coming up because social media isn't going anywhere. So it's definitely a weird place where we're at, where it's like, you, <laughs> you can't escape it. No, 100%. Because even with social media, I think Instagram, it kind of just puts the whole debate, I don't even say like team light skin, team dark skin debate, but like it kind of puts it on a pedestal. So now everyone's chiming in, everyone's commenting, everyone thinks their voice, ma- their misogynistic ass voice matters in this discussion when it really doesn't. <laughs> you could have been scrolling their 13 followers and you're a thousand. <laughs> thousand people following and you could have minded your two cent business but instead you think that you you can have that much of an impact to like destroy manipulate and make vile comments towards dark skin women and then make like add some specific characteristics to both groups like, like you said, and you like, know what's so scary about that it's yeah. like you make a, you make a tweet or a post or whatever platform you're using and you and you say something like what's the classic one because we all know there's there's classic roasts that these misogynistic men have for dark-skinned women. What is it? Hmm. Dark-skinned girls are ugly. Why? Because they look like beasts. Okay. So you'll have a tweet like that or a message like that posted online. And you'll have people around the world agreeing with you. It's like, it's not enough that it's like your homeboys laughing at the joke in front of this girl. It's now... I'm professing how much I hate dark-skinned women online, and I have people all around the world agreeing with me, kikiing with me. Exactly. Like, people literally cheering you on. Like, you, you're you instilling a poll. And it's not just about you and the person now. You're just, you're involving so many people. I'm like, do you not think before you open your ugly mouth? Like, do you not think that, okay, by me saying so forth and by pinning literally two groups against one another and just constantly degrading that I'm going to find pieces of shit everywhere around the world who's going to agree with me and say you know what I've been holding my thoughts to myself but so-and-so said something so now I think it's acceptable for me to put my two cents in because clearly this person agrees with what I'm saying and I have the confidence (laughs) to outwardly put this in what like a tweet in a caption in a story or whatever the case might be and it's just kind of exactly it's like they're uniting it's actually insane that's why like social media like amongst all else yes it has the power to connect people globally and like you know but it has the power to mobilize like dusties and clowns (laughs) like that's what it that's what twitter instagram facebook snapchat has shown me these dusties are now mobilizing people need to be screened to download an app (laughs) coming out left and right with their 10 accounts just constantly harassing degrading and i'm like I don't want to be one of those people, like, if you were not here on this earth type of thing, it would be a better place. But 
<laughs> you need to like move your ass away from the internet or whatever connection you have like it's not even under debate for debate like we're talking about considering like people like that like and you can imagine like how traumatizing it is for some people especially when you see these comments like can you imagine yourself being in that position like there are some women constantly being berated and degraded with harmful comments like you don't know like how far your comments can reach people it's like, like it's like to a point where it's like if i have like a dark-skinned girl summit i feel like we could all sit down and name like and name our experiences out and we would be like fam i experienced that i experienced that too sis i experienced that it's like it's the same kind of nonsense that keeps getting spewed it's like the classic dark-skinned girl jokes she's a gorilla she has big she has big lips she's an ape she's ugly you know what i mean it's like it's not even it's not even inventive like the way they try to disrespect you it's like it's just the same nonsense being spewed and it's and it's all under it's all under this this umbrella this it's all under this this desire this desire to just show hate unnecessary hate for one another well that's my thing like you're talking about this desire you're talking about this desire to show unnecessary hate but it's kind of like now dialing back like where does this hate stem from because when you think about it like like how can you hate your own women you get what I'm saying like if if we have to be all but you know what I've realized with that what I've realized with that Mm -hmm. is that I, I I actually like took time to sit down and really think about it from like a man's side a man's perspective and like sometimes we try to hit we try to hit mandem with the with the with the oh you don't love your mother line you don't love your women line and i think like it's deeper than that like some of these guys probably do love their mother some of these guys like it's it's i don't know like i haven't fully fully understood how i feel about this but i think it's like we're doing them like we're doing them like a, a we're doing them a solid by saying oh it's probably you hate your mother like we're we're rationalizing it too much sometimes people just hate to hate and i think like i don't want to rationalize it to a point where it's like it's so easy for me to come up with the answer i think some of these guys we really have to sit down and hear them out because sometimes it's not as simple as I hate my mom or I like you know I hate myself it actually it could be I hate myself but I just think there's there's a lot to this and there's so many complexities and I just I feel like we constantly hit men with those lines about how you probably don't love yourself or you don't love your mom or you don't love your family or your sister or whatever but it's like I don't know I really want to get into that so maybe one day I could like sit down with a with a colorist fool and ask him but I don't know it's just it's yeah. very complicated to me I don't know I think we do them too much of a service to say it's like you don't like your mom by like connecting with something easier because it could be like for people it's easier to say like well, well if you don't like dark women then you don't like your mom you don't like this like I think trying to tie it back into something well there is a reason obviously like it stems yeah. it stems and from something else I don't, and not I don't discrediting that, that. Yeah. yeah not discrediting that but I think it's like the fact that like by just saying like you don't like your mother, you don't like this, it's like 
you're kind of letting that person escape in a way. Mm-hmm. Like there has to be, like you can't, you're not getting off that easy. Like you and your Aquarius mentality and everything, you're not getting, exactly, you're not getting off that easy. I'm not letting you escape through your various ways. I'm not going to say it's this, this, and this. Like there's a deep-rooted reason that probably a lot of people did not discover or still trying to discover, especially people researching into this thing, into colorism itself. But no, I'm not going to let you <laughs> get yeah. off that easy, Wallahi. Which, okay. Yeah, like, let me just say, it's not to invalidate that part, but it's like, it's definitely, it's definitely something very complex, like to, to tap into the mind of a black man and sit down with him and, and like, kind of like confront him with the fact that, you know, growing up with you, like, <laughs> I, you've made my life hell sometimes, you know, and and it's like sitting down and really understanding how that individual feels. And I, and I just feel like adding complexities is very important because I don't want the answers to be that easy. Never. This is not an easy topic. Right. So that's, that's just like literally how I feel about that. No, 100%. It's not an easy topic for sure. And so I kind of want to segue this and kind of like talk about, you know, kind of like since we address like what is color, what colorism is and like how it is, it presents itself through various mediums. I think Colin talking about colorism within the East African communities, um, you being yeah. Sudanese, uh, me being Somali. So what does colorism look like in probably in our respective communities and how does it like kind of present itself through discussions or through like cultural practices and so forth? So how mm-hmm. does colorism kind of present itself in each other's lives respective communities and so forth yeah so I'll let you take off with that um just going off of like my identity of being Sudanese Canadian because I think it's very important to add the Canadian part because I am first generation Canadian so as much as I have my Sudanese identity and background I also have to acknowledge my Canadian identity and background because I grew up here, I've spent most of my life here. So I think I'm gonna try to tie it into those two communities and even intersect the two. So first off, I'm gonna start off with my Sudanese background. It's no surprise to a lot of people that the Sudanese community, Sudanese diaspora has a lot of colorism embedded the mentality of a lot of community members to a point where it's very conflicting. Um, when you love your community, but they constantly knock you down. I am uh, originally, if we're looking at Sudan, I come from the West of Sudan. I am not a Northern Sudanese woman. I'm not a Eastern Sudanese woman. And I think we really have to pay attention to that because a lot of people like to paint Sudanese people as one. And that is just basically erasing the diversity and colorfulness of our community. So I think that's very important to like preface. Sudan is not one looking, a Sudanese person can't be one type of look. You know what I mean? We have hundreds of ethnicities and tribes. That's impossible. So I think that's very important. But now if we're going to keep it real, 
the Western Sudanese people and Southern Sudanese people, South people who are closer to South Sudan, are they treated the same as Eastern and, and, and Northern Sudanese people? No. And what has been, I guess, the genesis of, you know, the genocides that we've had in the past within our country have been in some shape and form because of Arab supremacy and because of colorism. You know what I mean? So that's what I'm saying when colorism is a matter of life and death. When I think about the Darfur genocide, and I don't want to simplify it and say that there aren't other aspects, but a main component to it is because the four people, the other peoples who originate from South Sudan, they are not light. They are not Arab. They don't want to be Muslim. They have different beliefs. Some of them are Christian. Some of them practice indigenous beliefs. And I think that's part of it is the fact that we have this hatred for Black people. And, and it's internalized to a point where we don't even, we don't even know why, but it's, it's how we feel. And when I think about the Darfur genocide, it breaks my heart because the same people who talk about how Sudan is the land of Blacks can't even acknowledge that a genocide that killed over a million, millions of people was because of the hatred for the, for the very Black people that you talk about saying you love and, and you unite as one with. And it just it hurts me. You know what I mean? And it hurts me because I see that me as a Western Sudanese woman, people are quick to say that you can't be Sudanese. Every, every, like every, like every part of my life, I've always been confronted with the, with the, with that one line, how can you be Sudanese? You're dark. You're, you're black. And it's like, yeah, I'm Sudanese because Sudan is not just North and East. And I don't have to have loose curly hair. I don't have to have a pointier nose. I don't have to have lighter skin to be Sudanese because that's not what Sudan is about. And it just sometimes makes me feel like an outsider in my community because when we're looking at, I guess, migration and, and who of the Sudanese uh, within the diaspora have come to North America. Most of them are Eastern and Northern people. And with that type of representation of what Sudan looks like to outsiders, a lot of people think that if I don't look like that, I can't be Sudanese. And we have to call it what it is. That is colorism. That is internalized Arab supremacy. That is also white supremacy. And it just hurts sometimes to know that. So my relationship with the Sudanese community, you know, is bumpy sometimes. But for the most part, it's love. You know what I mean? I will say Sudanese people are some of the most generous people I've ever met in my life, the most hospitable, the most caring. But I think one part, one issue in our community that we like to neglect is the colorism that we have to be confronted with that in a way where we're sitting down and we're really taking time to understand how it feels to be dark-skinned Sudan. Because 
it's a matter of life and death. You know what I mean? I don't want to see another genocide in Sudan because of someone's skin color. Are you serious? I don't want to see that ever again in my life. So I think it's very important that deal with that internalized supremacy, white supremacy, and colorism that's been passed down in every generation. We like, you know what I mean? Like we have we have hate for 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 being dark, you know, we have hate for that in our community. That's why we have bleaching things available. That's why women don't like to be in the sun that much. You know, being dark, when you look at it in I guess social value system, we have to understand that there's this dichotomy within the system where it's like good, bad, light, dark, pretty, ugly. And it's just extremely damaging. And once again, in all these conversations, women are always the most affected, bringing up a young generation of girls in the face of all this hatred for blackness. And I think one other thing I will say is let's not be hypocrites. So you already know last year with the Sudan revolution that was happening online, a lot of people were also hypocrites because the same people who were trying to make the Khartoum riots, the Khartoum riots, a whole revolution, a whole black movement. Some of these people's members were also responsible for the genocide that happened in Darfur. So it's very complex. And obviously me as a Sudanese Canadian, I don't know the full, the full scope of the conflict. People want to go silent. People I guess that's my piece. Yeah, I think was in, I think all the points that you brought up are very true. Like, because it's funny because everyone was talking about, you know, um, I think the only thing that people are familiar with when they hear Sudan, they hear Khotum, right? Like they hear the capital. Um, and that's pretty much the base, like the basic knowledge that yeah. everyone has of the country. Yeah. Then people want to talk about, you know, like you have this African pride, but then you don't want to address the deep rooted colorism that's been that's been in your communities for like exactly. centuries. Exactly. This thing is centralized in Khartoum and it's way it's in a way where like everything it like Khartoum is at the center of everything and it and sometimes that brings erasure to other places in Sudan and other faces other voices. But yeah. No, 100%. So I'm glad you definitely brought up those points. And Charlotte's still definitely looking into like South Sudan and all that happened and transpired because definitely it's crazy to me that people are sounding the horn with what happened. Um, like obviously, like rightfully so, like raising awareness about the protests, but then they don't want to confront like the decades long conflict that they had with South Sudan and like where is it at now as a country, right? As a result of separating. So like, there's, there's just so much unknown to a lot of people, including me. So inshallah, definitely read up on that and familiarize myself with it because I don't want to talk too much into something that I'm not really quite familiar with. Um, but I think if we're talking about colors in the Somali community, I think a lot of it is denial for a lot of people. I think amongst youth, like obviously like we understand that it exists um, and it persists in communities, but I think um, some people tend to brush it off and put that down to the side because like we're all Somali at the end of the day, but I think obviously there is a spectrum, right? There is a color range. Being on that spectrum, it's kind of like the closer you are to light skin, the better a fortune opportunities that you have. It's kind of like 
almost like a status symbol like if you're thinking about mm-hmm. it within the context of marriage in the context of like life in general like you just get treated differently when your social aspects and your social surrounding and your social circle is just it's just all different as a result of your based on your skin color and even now like being a small Canadian as well like within how you're seeing people be treated in this society it's still present like it's still even within basic things like nicknames for example like yeah. um when people say rahma ate so it's like um rahma is like the person the name and then ate is like kind of like white skin light skin like their complexion is kind of a form of endearment in a lot of these case scenarios and it just follows that person or those group of people for like a long time so it's natural to them like it's just a regular nickname but then people don't want to understand that that's rooted in colorism that's rooted in the fact that you know your beauty comes from the fact that you're light skin or you're closer to that spectrum right so it's not like it's not like people don't want to dress like even back home like you said like don't go in the sun for too long because I remember being um, back home for the two years <laughs> like you know everyone was like playing soccer at one point but the sun was at its peak and everyone's like yo like I gotta sit down for like a good 30-40 minutes before like I can go out again because you know I don't want to get too dark on the sun and it's like it's so normalized like these conversations like it just it happens on the sly like no one catches it but then you just kind of like have to stand there like wait like how is this normal like we're talking about like young boys out there like playing and then girls just kind of like worried that they'd get like a little like a little one tone darker than they actually are like and just continue on from there right or like just plastering on sunscreen like it's like a protector from you getting darker in the summer I'm like that's not how sunscreen works naturally Mm -hmm. it just protects you from UV rays it doesn't like like it doesn't like prevent you from like getting darker in the summer so it's kind of like things like that like we've taken it to an extreme and I don't think people see it as such like even the skin lightening industry within specific countries in Africa like I know Tanzania they outlawed it um from the out they allowed chemical skin bleaching products from being in use Mm -hmm. but there's still a lot of countries that are circulating these products and people are readily picking them from the shelves and like using it like it's baby lotion (laughs) like it's like a regular Mm -hmm. nighttime (laughs) (laughs) like all things aside all beauty aside like that is chemicals that you're forcing yourself for the sake of beauty and who created this beauty standards where does it stem from like it goes back to colonialism it goes back to white skin being the epitome to beauty like that's what their standard that's the standard that a lot of people look at right Mm -hmm. and that's where where, yeah yeah. no that's where desirability politics like plays into this whole conversation because I, I I had to sit down with that and 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 think about like what are the emotional and mental and physical implications of skin bleaching? And when you look at a lot of African cultures, let's not lie out here, you know, whatever it takes to be light, whatever it takes to be desired, whatever it takes to get a ring, to get a man, to get the house, you know what I mean? These women have to do what they have to do. And like, when you think about it like that, you can't fault them because it's a matter of, their livelihood and that's what I'm saying it's so damaging when we literally equate light skin to like social value you know what I mean and I I I honestly can't fault these women because I also have to show empathy and I always any conversation that I have I always try to center the experiences of black and I want to empathize because I think it's necessary and I can't fault these women for what they're doing because so long as colorism and white supremacy exists 
the skin lightening, skin bleaching industry isn't going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. And each year, this industry keeps on getting more and more money because we know that there is a desire, there's a consumer desire for that because these women who grow up hating their dark skin and knowing that because they are less desirable to their lighter skin counterparts, they have to do what it takes to get that ring, to get that house. And that's very true as well. Like, I'm glad you've said that as well, because I know it's easy for people to kind of be like, why are you doing this? Like, it's horrible for you and it's bad. But then in hindsight, like, who do you blame? Like, are you blaming the women? Are you blaming the industry? Like, are you looking at like how society kind of like push these women to no means end and kind of like, and it's also survival too. Like, we can't all act like we all have the same opportunities. We're on an equal level playing field. Like, we are, we are born here as well, right? So that already gave your running head start obviously like there's different barriers that we face and that impact us but like in comparison to them living in these countries in their upbringing in their natural environment it's like do i live to see another day or like what's like kind of like facts. the life or death oper- like situation facts. like that's what it is at the end of the day and, yeah, then people- and, and i feel like people can't deny that like if somebody's telling you i'm doing something because it's a matter of life or death you can't come to somebody and say nah just switch it up especially in the context of women living in extreme poverty, living in these patriarchal, these these super religious, super conservative environments. Like, you know what I mean? You can't can't knock somebody for that. You can never knock somebody for that. And it's like, when I I think about, remember, remember, I think it was two years or, or... or a couple of years ago when Spice came out with that video, Black Hypocrisy. You know what I mean? People were going crazy, but she's just like, you know what I mean? You guys want to disrespect dark-skinned women, but then you want to go around and knock her down when she's trying to lighten up her skin so she can so she can live that better life? You know what I'm trying to say? So to make things very easy. And like I said in the beginning, like there's complexities to this. So, like, people want to make everything, they want to rationalize things in a way where it's easy for them to understand. But if we're going to have a real talk, it can't be easy. It can never be easy. Thank you for tuning in to part one of this episode. Part two will be released on Saturday. Um, and just an overall thanks for tuning in to the Good Better Best podcast, where your best will always be good enough. So, yeah. Wait, please wait until Saturday for the discussion to continue um, and where we wrap up with a call to action um, on this discussion. And if it's your first time, like, watch, I wouldn't say watching, but listening to my podcast, please, like, um, subscribe if that's a thing to this podcast. And I also run a blog site along with this podcast where you can check out some of my blog posts that I run alongside this podcast and yeah let me know your overall thoughts feelings comments any and every feedback is welcome and again thank you and stay tuned for part two this Saturday Mm